Welcome everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast at Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends where you found it, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere where you find fine podcast content. You can find Kyle and myself. Connect with us on social media at LonghornPod on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic, or shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. My name is Gerald Goodridge. I'm your host this week, like I am every week, and I'm joined by a man who's halfway through his fear of the color purple, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? Look, Gerald, it's uh, it's been a long time, I think, since, you know, I could comfortably see the color purple and, and, and be okay with it again, not the movie, the, the, the teams, um, and, and not get absolute shudders um, down the spine. We get to talk about uh, a recap of one and a preview of another, um, TCU coming up, of course, in KSU, and today, um, I, I, it's a little hard for me to, uh, to think about anything because I, um, I had such a crazy weekend. I, I didn't get to watch this game live. I was at a wedding in Willis, Texas. Um, and so I had to go back and watch it later, knowing the outcome, which is always an interesting way to watch the game. So you know, even in the most fearful moments, I wasn't as scared as I normally would have been. Um, and then my car also um, broke down uh, on the side of the road uh, on the drive back from Willis, Texas. Uh, and so I was... Uh, all kinds of all over the place this weekend, and, and then you know the Astros won, and so uh, this was a roller coaster coaster of emotions, even without the usual Kansas State purple melodrama. So I'm just gonna say, Gerald, um, nothing can phase me after this weekend. Nothing can phase me. I am I am made of steel. I've had my ups. I've had my downs. Um, everything's in the middle, baby. I just wanted to let the Kansas State fans know that Ron Prince wasn't walking through, that door, <laughs> right? Like. Um, I, I was on a, I was on a Kansas state podcast, uh, and I was talking about how like Colin Klein and Rod and Prince are still triggers for me. And like, it really, it's a true thing. Like I cannot see a, ch- like, I cannot see Christopher Jackson, the, the, uh, the TV star now he was in Hamilton, <laughs> who looks like a handsome Rod Prince. I can't watch Hamilton with my wife because he reminds me too much of Ron Prince and it's a little triggering for me. No, I'm just joking. Uh, but, um, Texas got over, uh, I mean, it's not really demons or anything against Kansas state. It's always just a weird game. So Texas survived another weird one against the wildcats in Manhattan and got their second road win under Steve Sarkeesian uh, and managed not to blow a second half lead, which feels good to say out loud. So we'll obviously talk about that. Uh, a lot of other action happening on campus, including a couple of upset or an upset win, uh, in the natatorium, uh, volleyball didn't happen because of a flu outbreak, so we'll catch up with that. But the women got their exhibition off, and soccer will be in action in Austin this weekend. But we got to start at the top with Texas going to Manhattan, Kansas, and almost giving it up, almost coughing it up, almost doing the same thing they do every week, and we'll talk about it quite a bit. But when push comes to shove, Texas outlasts Kansas State 34 
to 27. Three points in the second half was enough to get it done. Shouldn't have been. Uh, there were opportunities for Texas to put this game away on several occasions. Managed just a field goal in the final two frames, but it was enough. The defense uh, got it going, got it going when it needed to. Uh, finally got some turnover luck to go their way to end the game. Thanks to Snacks Coburn and Jalen Ford. There's a lot to talk about here, Kyle, uh, but I think the biggest thing from my perspective, and feel free to jump in, is the Texas defense shutting down Kansas State on the ground, right? When I think about the, the when we talked about the pregame, right? When we talked about it pregame, the things that we were watching were were Deuce Vaughn and Bijan Robinson, and this was the second lowest rushing performance from Kansas State this year, and this was Bijan's highest rushing performance of the year. And so we said it in the pregame, like Texas can win the game on the ground if they do these two things, and they did those two things. Yeah, it's almost like I should get double points for my pot Shudamas. We'll talk about that uh, in a moment. We'll but that, that that was a pretty key uh, key to the game was Texas winning the ground game, and boy, did they, right? Like it's, uh, you know, over 100 yards uh margin of victory uh, on the ground again Kansas State uh Womp Texas in the pass game also need to dive into that a bit um but uh for multiple reasons from both sides but um yeah I mean it, that was the difference in the game right it's not to say Deuce Vaughn didn't get his right he he, he got loose in the receiving game uh, a little bit um and and the way he runs <laughs> routes is just a, a small you know toddler that everyone's chasing and can't catch like he just runs and does some leg shakes and head wiggles and the ball's there it's like it's it's really impressive him in the passing game he doesn't run like a, an especially an especially great route or anything he just he he does you know jackpot schoolyard wiggling and no one can stay with him especially when that's a linebacker's purview it's, it's impossible to do so they were able to get him there but um you know it was pretty – we'll talk about Jalen Ford, and, and he was honored for his performance, but um, he – I don't know if he had a, a, a spy equivalent on Deuce, but he matched up on him pretty frequently through the game. And it was one of those things that, you know, Deuce, would, he's fast, and when he gets going, you know, sometimes he can shake guys off just because he's slippery and quick. It was a brick wall. Like, I don't know what his yards after contact versus the rest of the team versus Jalen Ford was. That's maybe too specific of a stat uh, to be able to ascertain. But, I mean, it felt like he might have had one or two yards after contact when Jalen Ford was involved. Whenever he got his hands on him, he was hitting hard, downhill, wrapping up, putting him in the ground, launching into it, and, and again – it's kind of hard to launch into a guy who's small because you, you know, the, the target is, is a little bit smaller. It's easy to miss. Like he's, he makes a lot of people that's Deuce Vaughn. It's what he does. Makes a lot of people look silly when they come and, and go downhill and try to stop him. He lets him run by, or he throws a little shake in and you miss um, to the whole defense's credit in, in the interior line and, and all the linebackers over should included, but especially Ford when they got a hold of him, they put him down on the ground. Yeah. And I think that like it, it once again, we talk, we, there's a there's this, like this anti Pete Kwiatkowski or has been uh, in certain pockets um, sentiment among Texas fans and um, there there's frustration from people and I, I get there's some frustration especially in the passing game but I think we have to talk about Texas's ability to take away what a team wants to do right Texas like that has been the hallmark of this defense week in and week out is we're going to take away what you want to do and you're going to have to beat us 
another way. And that's happened twice, right? It happened Oklahoma State, happened Texas Tech. Like, the, Texas Tech was a weird situation. So was Oklahoma State. I think the defense, honestly, um, was left hang, left out to dry a little bit by the offense in both of those games. And so it's not all on them. Obviously, that's my own personal bias. But I think uh, Texas shutting down Kansas State on the ground and forcing Adrian Martinez to be a passer is a big part of the reason why Texas was able to do what it did. Now, that being said, that forced Texas into some weird situations in coverage, and the middle of that defense is awkward. Let's just go ahead and say it. Uh, I talked about it with the Westcott post game, but like part of the issue that you have when you're playing a team like Kansas State with a quarterback like Adrian Martinez is that you can't really play man-to-man coverage, right? Because you need to have people watching the backfield. You need to have guys, um, because if you're in man, you're just watching your man. And if you're, let's say a middle linebacker and your man goes out into the flats, that leaves Adrian Martinez wide open. And so when you go to zone, that allows a little bit more flexibility, but then there are going to be gaps in the zone. That's just how it goes. And teams have zone beater plays and Kansas state ran some of those. And so part of it is a scheme on scheme thing and exploiting what teams do well versus what teams don't do well. And like, I'm not saying that the tech there, that there doesn't need to be a fix for whatever's going on in the middle of the Texas defense. But I am saying that part of that is a, like a pick your poison. And I think we saw some of it on the on the last significant Kansas State drive of the game where they ended up scoring like they took like five minutes off the clock down two scores because Texas was like, yep, we'll give it up to you in the middle. We'll keep it in front of you. We'll keep you in bounds and we'll put you in a position where you're going to have to play out of character on the next drive. And that really worked well for them. And so uh, it is frustrating and 27 points isn't a ton in a modern football game. There are opportunities for the defense to improve against specifically that middle soft middle portion of the passing game. I think Max Duggan's going to probably have a field day with some of that on Saturday, but overall, when you tell me what was the issue with the Texas collapse, it wasn't the defense. Yeah. I mean, I agree with that. Even when you look at like uh, the, the halves, right. You know, that this was the game of two halves. Obviously it was a game of Texas playing a fantastic first half. And you could say it from the standpoint of Kansas State playing a very good second half or Texas playing in subpar second half, however you want to say it, um, very clearly was was two halves. But even even still, right, like Kansas State, they got 230 yards in the second half. That's maybe a bit much. Um, but they were, you know, where, where it counted when, when you talk about it, giving up 17 points there um, is not the worst thing. You'd love to make, make that seven or 10 versus 17, but it's not the worst thing. They, they got uh, their turnover. They had two fumbles they didn't get in the second half, right? There was plays to be made there. Um, but the thing that I kind of looked at is when, you know, when it came down to it on money downs, they were one for five on third down. Texas brought some good pressures and they brought good pressures all night and couldn't always get to Martinez who, who played a, a good game from from his standard for, for avoiding what was a Texas was getting pressure. They got sacks. They got pressures with four four men. But when they dialed up blitzes, um, they were able to, to do it pretty well. And, and um, you know, again, one for five on third down, you're doing pretty well. They, yeah. Did they give up some big plays? Sure. Um, yes, they did. Um, but when, you know, when Texas scores three on offense and, and you know, only has 114 yards in the second half on offense, again, you're, you're talking about uh, three yards a rush in the second half for Texas. There's very clearly one unit. If you want to talk about one unit not performing in the second half, and I think we have to talk about it as a team, we talk about complimentary football, but it's really, it's not the defense, right? And it's not the special teams, quite honestly, right? That it, it is... It was the offense, and and you know the the last thing I'll say, Gerald, you you mentioned he's good down the middle. Eighteen for twenty three passing is a, you know 
one of his five incompletions was an interception. Uh, you know, that there was a great play. Uh, there was, you know, maybe I, I'd have to go back and watch each one, maybe one or two others where people got their hands on him. But he put he put the, the ball and the money over the middle where there was space. Um, and and uh, that's just something we, we said before the game, these are good receivers. They're not great receivers, right? Malik Knowles, good, had one, most of his yardage on one big busted play. But um, Deuce Vaughn, hard to corral. Great, we know that, but it's not the best receivers they will play all season or have played even even so far this season. Um, but you know, kudos to the linebacking unit with a tough assignment all the way around. They had to stop a mobile quarterback who you know is as mobile as any quarterback in the conference. We knew that um, a running back who's as hard to tackle as anyone not named Bijan in the conference. They did that. Overshone himself. You know, had nine tackles and a tackle for loss. Ford, of course, ten tackles. Int forced fumble. The big fumble recovery to seal the game. Big 12 player of the week for his efforts. I thought Watts great. He was pro football focused, highest graded player over 90. Only player on the team over 90. I think only player in the game over 90. Um, Jade Barron had a huge fourth down PBU in the end zone. Michael Taffy is a guy who, you know, is is a redshirt walk on, you know, player who's thrust into action back there at the safety position and he didn't it wasn't like he was getting beat all game like he was a noticeable oh my gosh they're picking on him you know Coburn besides getting held you know nine out of ten plays had a sack and two forced fumbles there was there were some things to like it's just um there definitely is an overall cohesion where i think also by the way if we talk about jumping on some of those fumbles um we have a much different conversation about this defense right we talk about less points being given up we talk about giving the offense better position where they can capitalize and score some more points probably um we're we're probably having a much different conversation when this is a 14 point win right they or or 21 even if if you could recover all of your 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 fumbles right if you 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 finish the plays that you start texas the defense that's a good analogy for them they're doing like three-fourths of the things right it's just like finish what you start yeah i mean that that's been our mantra all year is finish what you start and again i think for the defense i'm not mad about anything other than that really that middle part of the the zone and then fault like Mm -hmm. i i I just got my kids to sleep and one of the two fumbles that they should have just fallen on uh i may have yelled and got in trouble and that's fine um but like it's (laughs) insane to me that um they've been telling you like since buffalo valley youth association fourth grade like they used to roll balls out there just fall on it curl up right that's what they sixth grade football first time put on pads right like that's what you're supposed to do so that that is frustrating to me and then guess what guess what happened when they fell on the ball in the fourth quarter texas won the darn game so like that to me is the difference maker for the and again I can't. I'm not. I'm not mad about a win, right? And you're always enjoying right. a win with stuff that you can coach. But I. But Absolutely. I think for me, and I was. T- I was tweeting about it. The, the biggest. Fr- the biggest frustration for me has always been, and will always, uh, will continue to be for the foreseeable future. The defense getting its job done early in the third quarter, and the offense not doing anything. And so we'll talk about that uh, here because I don't. I don't know what's going on, but it seems like Sark is getting out adjusted at halftime. So we talked about it on the other side, but uh, the offense managed just three points in the second half. Uh, Texas had most of its most of its offensive production uh, in the first half of the game, uh, and a lot of these stats are relative. I don't want to call them deceiving, right? Because they happened, they were there. Texas won, but. 
Texas had 466 total yards, 269 on the ground, 197 through the air. Bijan did Bijan things. Another career night. He is like looking at top five-ish all time uh, for rushing by the end of the year, but 30 carries for 209 yards and a touchdown, added two receptions for 34. Had eight missed tackles, 120 yards after contact, went absolutely insane. And like Bijan is going to do Bijan things, and Bijan makes offenses look really good. Um and they, it feels like this was the first, like, feed five game uh, that really went well for Texas. Yeah, 30 carries. I mean, this was a game they needed him, and, and you saw that, and they, they went back to him. Maybe you could argue in the second half with less success and, and too much. But I will say, especially in the first half, and, and to his credit, in the second half, even with 20-plus carries, um, this was a game that looked like they worked on in the bye week. Bijan, you know, he's done a lot of dancing because he's had to, right? He's looking for that hole to bust through, and so he's done a lot of – make a guy miss in the backfield. It, it looked like they they probably listened to this podcast. All the coaches, thank you for listening. Um, to Gerald and I saying, mm-hmm. just just run downhill. You're, you're you're stronger, faster, better than these guys. Like, you know, don't don't let them come to you and beat each one uh, as they come. You know, charge and, 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 and just run past them. Get, get past them. And it looked like in this game, more than any this season, he was just running downhill ready to beat people um, pretty much for, for all four quarters. And there were certainly times when the, the – couldn't do it no lanes like guys were in the backfield there was a couple of plays that went as positive yards where he you know first contact was four yards deep in the backfield right like he did a lot still but I did like just the aggressiveness that he ran with he was um you know ready to make one cut and go and then at six yards you know do do the things where you you, you potentially uh turn it into 60 yards like you make let your blocks work, but but don't wait for them to work. Go go make it happen. And um, you know, I, I thought he did pretty well in the the passing game. The good screen pass that he took on a long, you know, uh, second and long or third and long, but either way, took it uh, pretty close to a first down marker, like a good chain flipper. He, he he did some good things all around. But I mean, just if you look on the season real quick, seven hundred eighty one of his one thousand one hundred twenty four rushing yards. That's sixty nine percent is a really nice percentage um, of his yards have come after contact. Um, that's crazy. Like he's doing a lot of this himself, not to knock the offensive line entirely. They've been much, 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 much better as you know, exactly what we asked for. They've been improved, um, but he's still having to do a lot. He leads the country in forced missed tackles by more than 10. This was a great five game. This was a if if people were watching this game, you know, who who have national views, and then of course it was a ranked game, so probably a lot of people were. Um, this was a Heisman propelling type of game. This performance, this team needed it, and so he got thirty carries. His team needed, it, and so he got two hundred yards. Right? It seemed like he he had the highlight plays, and he had the you know it's second and eight. Ooh, okay, Bijan got us a first down. He had all of that. We needed both the big ones and the medium ones, and again the fight for four yards. You know, f- deep in the backfield to get it to second and nine, so that you're not completely behind the chains and having to to you know dig into the playbook a little bit. So just thought it was a really impressive performance. Um, from him all around and uh, you know th- there were some things that I would like to see a little bit different of course but none of it really is on on Bijan like I, I was looking at the all-time rushing list and I'm like what if Bijan got to play behind an offensive line that Jamal Charles ran behind right like what if Bijan got to run behind one of these running these offensive lines that Cedric Benson got to run behind right like though that to me is just like 
he would have like a trillion yards. He would break every single record. Uh, and especially because those were like so run heavy offenses. Like he's doing this in an offense that's not necessarily uh, run heavy with an offensive line that frankly is struggling to, to block the run, especially between the tackles with where he is and where he is comfortable. Now, we do have to talk about Roshan Johnson, who Roshan um, had had a solid seven carries for 62 yards and a touchdown. He did have one fumble that was, again, it's so weird. Like, seeing Bijan and Roshan fumble, like, they both had one this year. It's just so weird. Mm. It's so stinking weird because um, he's not that guy. And part, part of the problem is that there wasn't a Texas player in the frame uh, <laughs> to say, like, cover it up. Because it was like a fourth and one that should have gone for three yards and he cracked off a big yep. one. So it was a weird situation. He wasn't expecting to be there. Like, if... We're not talking about him fumbling if Texas just gets the three yards it needs and they keep it moving. But part of it is Kansas State made a Kansas State play. We talked about it last yeah. week. Bill Snyder was in the stadium. Bill Snyder is literally in the stadium, and I think metaphorically his ghost is in the stadium as well. He's not dead yet, but you get what I mean. Like that, That is a very Kansas State thing to do. And so part of it is just what they do. And so it's hard to judge it. But we didn't see a ton of Roshan after that, though. That's that's the the, the curiosity I had. And he was great. I mean, his first touchdown, he had a killer stiff arm on it. On that one, to, to get turn the short yardage in the big play, again, if that's not a fumble, that's a highlight play of the game, right, is is however much he took that 430-some-odd, 20-some-odd um, at least. But, yeah, again, great play for the guy to chase down and just make the – you know, that's that play you dream of as a defensive player. Uh, I, I always remember the Big 12 championship game when Gary Johnson did that chase down strip. Like, it's such a play, but it's also low percentage and really hard to do. Like, you end up – uh, running behind and trying to swing and hitting a shoulder pad or having a guy, you know, kind of shake you and then you end up on the ground, right? So uh, good on him on, on actually doing it. I will say on the ghost of Bill Snyder, Gerald, uh, I hinted at this in, in our preview a, a little bit um, and I had a whole bit worked up if I would have been able to do the post game. Um, again, <laughs> I loved Westcott putting on a late Halloween costume and going as your co-host uh, for the uh, for the the post game, and he did a great job listening to it. But uh, I, I, I was going to talk about you know Bill Snyder basically used all of his mojo against Texas because at that time Texas was the dominant force in the Big Twelve, and an upset against Texas you know did everything you needed. Um, and some of these coaches like you know. Texas Tech, whatever that guy's name is, I know what his name is. Um, they still believe this, right? And and they believe it. But Kansas State, they, these are they're on the cutting edge of college football, right? They were doing JUCO uh, roster building before you know being able to build rosters from other schools was really a thing. Um, they're always a, a few years ahead. And so a couple of years ago, they decided now. It's not Texas anymore. We're using all of our witchcraft points uh, against OU. We're going to steal their soul. And so OU basically replaced this. I don't know if, if you know this, and I can finally say it out loud now. I didn't dare say it on the preview, but uh, we have won six in a row, Gerald, against Kansas State, um, seven out of the last eight. Uh, I mean, it, it, we, we've had, weirdly, the type of success you would expect to have against with the disparity of, of dollars in these two programs against Kansas State, it just that none of them have been one of them, two of them have been real easy, but most of them have been close and nerve wracking. But I, I do think that that the mojo is a bit uh, a bit distributed elsewhere. Maybe Oklahoma State as well. Maybe they focus on on the state of Oklahoma instead of the state of Texas. Either way. It was a great play. I hope Roshan comes back with a vengeance next week because we're going to need him. I think he's, you know, again, still one of the four best backs in the Big 12. He just happens to be behind Bijan, so I hope he's ready to, to rumble and get some more stuff next week. Um, but it did feel like in a game where Sark was squeezing a little bit and didn't want to give anything up and we couldn't match their turnovers for a while, they have that Kansas State mentality where ball on ground – 
eight like hungry dudes who are two stars and three stars. That's mean to say who who are lesser stars than <laughs> Texas are just you know ball 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 ball, and they are so committed to it. There's a time when probably Deshaun Jameson could have had a ball 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 mentality and had himself a fumble recovery. This one was harder because it got stripped from behind, and like you said, there was no Texas player around to help. But there were multiple times the ball hit the ground. And it seemed like always a Kansas State player was there. Um, Again, we've talked about the running game at length. It was what won us this game. But I do think we have to talk a little bit about the passing game, Gerald. Good, bad, blah, whatever. This was just, it was a passing game that was probably the fourth most dangerous uh, of the offensive weapons behind Texas running, uh, Kansas State passing, Kansas State running, and then Texas passing, right? If you had to rank the four uh, offensive variables, that's, that's not a good sign. It's not, and it's been a weird one. Now, I will say again, and this is going to sound dumb, windy day in in the Midwest. It was windy in Kansas. Sure. Um, but but part of that, and, and we t- tweeted it out, I don't know what the misconnection is with, with Texas on these deep passes and what they're trying to do with Quinn Ewers. Um, because Texas, he went 18 of 31 for 197 and two scores. 12 of his 18 completions are from five yards or shorter, though. So he was 6 of 13 on anything longer than that. And I think um, anything, he was like 2 of 8 or something crazy longer on passes longer than 15 yards. And all of those went to the left side of the field. So, like, it seems like there's something going on. And I don't know if it's, I need to go back and watch what his long ball looked like before the injury against Alabama. But it seems like there's a lot of air under under his deep passes that I wasn't expecting. And I also feel like, and this is not, you know, we're not the type to take shots at a guy. But it feels like sometimes on these deep shots, Xavier Worthy is like pulling up early or not finishing his route it just feels like there's something off at the end of the route with the connection um, because there's been a lot of times where you know he's been even with guys and he's not necessarily trying to sell out for a pass or trying to sell out for for a touchdown and so again I'm not quite sure what is happening there but there's definitely a misconnection in him you know Maybe it was Texas not wanting to test them down the field or not feeling they needed to test them down the field as much or not necessarily feeling confident in Quinn's ability to hit those with the weird wind um, and kind of the air that he's having to put under the ball right now. I don't know, but it's weird. Yeah, when Adrian Martinez made, and it was actually a great route where they ran kind of a curl and go um, with the outside receiver sliding under the inside receiver um, for a touchdown, and it was a 30-yard touchdown pass, but when when... Uh, when Martinez is is putting you know his deep ball in the middle um, on the money, and we can't have the five star all everything Texas quarterback do that, it does make me think something is just truly off, right? We thought this might be a Hudson Card thing. Maybe the worthy stuff is not you know that, but it's it, you know Quinn with 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 Kane there there have been some issues kind of all season with all quarter I mean the past since Sark got there it's like oh well as soon as he gets the deep ball man this offense really unlocks and he said that when he showed up right like we we came from Alabama where we had that deep shot that let us run the ball underneath because everyone had to be careful because our deep balls were electric and we connected and it took the top off defense all the cliches all the adages Texas doesn't have it right now. They don't have that deep ball. And great, we can, we've said it many times on this podcast, it would be really nice to have Isaiah Nair, to have a second deep ball threat, a guy who's more kind of a traditional Quinton Johnson, tall, can also jump up and get it if you need it, deep ball kind of uh, receiver, which Worthy isn't necessarily, and Whittington's strengths aren't you know beyond 20 yards. Um, yeah, it would be great. But, okay, we're, we're in year two, and for whatever reason, we still just don't have that in the bag. Um, and again, like we have Kansas state throwing 30 yard seams to their fullbacks and stuff. Like um, we have to be able to figure something out. Like it, it, 
I just don't like our chances with with all the things that are still on the table for this Texas team if we don't get that figured out. If that doesn't become a part of the repertoire going forward here in the closing, you know, stretch of the season. Like you have to have it. Uh, they have to get it worked out. X and, and yours, you know, if it's Sanders up the seam, like he has the best hands and catch radius on the team. No offense to Bijan who has great hands, but Sanders can also get balls, you know, that are two yards too high and a yard to the left. Like he'll just grab it because he's giant. His hands are strong. Yeah. And so, you know, (laughs) whatever it is, it doesn't just have to be, okay, Xavier Worthy, deep or post route, outrun everybody. I'm going to throw it 60. You catch it. That's one option. But is there an option where we can do anything else? Is it another wheel route with a multi-back backfield where we're able to scheme someone open? I don't don't know. Um, But I would just really, it, it worries me a bit admittedly our running game is great we don't have to but man it would make everything easier if we could it's honestly what happened against oklahoma state two weeks ago right where texas couldn't hit one over the top so they were able to play seven eight guys in the box because they knew texas couldn't complete a deep one and so uh, for me that's the issue moving forward that's what that's what texas needs to cinch up uh heading into i guess not heading into but as TCU comes to town with college game day. You mentioned Jatavian Sanders led the team with receptions and yards, five receptions for 54 yards, 188 shy to break the single season yardage record for yardage record for a tight end. He is a good one. Five-star doing five-star thing. Xavier Worthy, four receptions on eight targets, 42 yards and two touchdowns. Jordan Winnington, two receptions for 34 yards. Again, um, it's it's hard to criticize Xavier Worthy for putting up a 16-point right. uh, fantasy football right. performance, but like he could have had there, – there were touchdowns on the field that I just don't know what happened um, with the connection with him in, in Ewers. I don't know if it's him. I don't know if it's Ewers. I don't know if it's both. I don't know if it's the wind, but something's off, and Texas got, has to figure it out uh, because they're going to need points against TCU because TCU can score in spade. And look, Xavier Worthy, in we called him a deep route threat, but he, this year he's shown he can be really nasty in in the red zone, and not because of his size or even his speed, his route running. Right, he could run everything in the route tree and things that aren't even in a traditional route tree, like you know triple deeks and and uh, triple sow cows. You have to get into figure skating to describe the types of twists and turns that this man is doing. Um, and it's really hard for it for a defensive back when it's a timing thing in the red zone, and and maybe they spend all their practice doing that. Like maybe that's why they, they need. To, you know, practice the other thing, but um, it, it, truly, Ewers put a couple throws back at the end zone. Xavier Worthy did the thing. Like there was one Ewers throw that he threw it before Worthy had made his move, knew where he was going. Worthy knew where the ball would be, and that was it. And you saw it. You saw, oh, that's the Texas passing game. That's what we expect, right? That was the play that you're like, okay, they've turned a corner. Here it is. Uh, you know, I think it's just it, it's just a little bit extending that. I will say the other thing, Gerald. When I talk about the passing game, I think some credit needs to go to you know the offensive line improving in in pass protection i think they've given up the the second fewest sacks in the country uh like in the past six weeks or something like that uh it it, it, legitimately they are they are you know one of the best in the big 12 or in the country it, it, it you know sacks allowed some of that is is you know not taking the deep shots as often i guess or some of that um you know is 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 scheming stuff up well um and and the biggest thing is Sarkeesian is max protecting. And when you take, you know, Carrick playing a second or sometimes third tight end, you're not going to necessarily have uh, as many passing options. And, and so you rely on Worthy extra and, and your other receivers to, to beat their man and, and Quinn to anticipate and to get it there and all those things. Sure. 
kudos to Sark for scheming that and fixing one problem, but now you have to fix the other problem that that created, right? So it's always evolving. Um, I wouldn't be mad if we see a, a Carrick package with the guy who no one's probably guarding. Just just slip him out. <laughs> slip slip big uh, big left tackle now tight end Andre Carrick out there and and maybe in the goal line or something. Let him let him get a wide open touchdown. I don't know. Just just saying. Um, but yeah. The, the credit where it's due, um, you know, Whittington moved the chains like he does. Worthy did the end zone. Sanders, you know, caught short passes and turned them into longer passes. If they can, if they can do that more consistently, there was a route they ran where you know it was just beautifully schemed uh, with with kind of multiple crosser levels, and, and Xavier Worthy caught it uh, with the defense just flipping circles trying to decide where they were and then headed up field and just had one guy who it was right after he fumbled it actually uh had one guy he he shook and then ended up going out of bounds probably called it a 20 some odd yard game but it was a perfect scheme to get him open and it just kind of feels like sometimes we've been saying this for two years where does that go right where does that scheme play that makes the pass easy because we know we can do it sometimes we see it once twice three four a game um where it's like wow that was really amazing um where does it go? And the final thing I'll say is, again, what if Ewers has three touchdowns and 200 yards? It's still not a wonderful game, but that Bijan throw in the end zone where they had to settle for a field goal in the second half when they actually did drive, it was a great blitz. It got home just at the right second. If he had one-tenth more of a second to put a little bit more touch, Bijan would have got that in the back of the end zone for his third back of the end zone touchdown. So, again, it's a game of inches. We're almost there. Um, it, you just just need to fix a couple things and uh, get on the same page with a couple players. Place. I mean, I think we'll see what it looks like at home. It's probably not going to be as windy in DKR as it has been for the last couple of weeks. So maybe viewers can connect on some of those deep shots. A couple of quick things. Um, Texas good on third downs. Uh, Kansas State was not Texas completed or converted on 53% of their um of their third downs, Kansas State, 41.7. Uh, Texas, 5 of 5 from the red zone, three touchdowns, two field goals. I think that was a big difference in the game is that Kansas State came up empty once and went one for two, uh, one field goal, two or one touchdown, two field goals on their four trips into the red zone. Like that to me, again, I talked about it in the inside of the numbers. Trading field goals for touchdowns is the way that you win college football games nowadays. So, Kyle, Let's talk about Potsdamus here. I currently lead eleven to ten. You hit on Texas winning the running game, uh, and I hit on JT Sanders with five catches and Texas having at least two sacks. They got two sacks on the nose. Uh, so you have questions about the Kansas State punt return situation because um, you missed it on the first punt return or kick return from Malik Knowles. You said your prediction was Kansas State had no punt returns longer than twelve yards or kick returns longer than twenty five. Knowles went twenty seven for the first one, but. but. Gerald, he averaged 15. This is the best kick returning unit in the country. Averaged 15 the rest of the game. If you take that one uh, out, he averaged 12 yards. He had he had one. I think he had negative yards on an actual return. Not quite. But, um, I mean, the coverage was so good. It put them in field position that that honestly may have been the difference in this game when you zoomed it all the way out on some of those uh, drives that if that wasn't the case, Kansas State maybe does a little something uh, more on that or Texas doesn't have the field position they have. Um, But the best unit, bar none, for Texas this entire game was their kick coverage. I mean, having less than 10-yard returns with the best returner in the Big 12, a guy who's been awarded that with the best historic kick return 
unit and punt return, right? They did nothing really with the punt return credit to, to Trejo, you know, under the wind with some low bouncer rollers, which is good. Um, but uh, they had one return and it, it was fine uh, off the bounce. But um, this I said was a key to the game and it was a key. And they, they were after that first one where he just beat it. They were elite, like truly, utterly great tackling. Like it was one guy and he had to make the tackle, made the tackle. They were elite uh, at kick return coverage. Like I would grade them an A+. So here's what we can do. You you were willing to give me one on the DeMarvian Overshone sack that should have – that was called a target and that very clearly wasn't a target, mm-hmm. right? So I'll give you this ah. one. But you only have one in the bank now. Ah. You only have one extra one in the bank instead of your two. Fair enough. How – that feel this fair. Sounds yeah. like a deal. So, feel you strike a strong bargain, sir. So currently tied ish, eleven to eleven, going into the last three. This is the deepest end of the season that I think it's been competitive. I like it. Uh, you have run away with it in the last several seasons, uh, and we're wheeling and dealing to keep it going. Uh, so we'll be back on Thursday with our TCU preview, and then obviously, uh, barring something insane happening, Kyle having a wedding, or I don't know, one of my one of my kids doing something insane, we'll be here following the game for our post game live stream. You can catch us on Facebook and Twitter. So now's the part of the show where we whip around the rest of campus and we down the 40. Normally, we'd start with volleyball. Uh, We mentioned it in the Thursday show, though. TCU uh, had to cancel their game due to a flu breakout in the team. So it it counts as a forfeit. Texas gets the win for Big 12 standings, but national standings aren't impacted for that. So let's go to the natatorium, Kyle. Go to the pool, take a dip. Number two swimming and number uh, number two men swimming and number three women's swimming. Uh, the men top the number nine Virginia Cavaliers with a score of. Let, let me give you a quick one. They did a two a two day meet. Friday it was a combined score with both teams, and Saturday each competed regular the way they usually do it. Got it. Okay. So the score was a little different, but the result remained. The same Friday was a combined score for the men and the ladies. They won 171 to 159. And then on Saturday, they broke it apart. The men did what the men do to anybody that's not the number one team in the country. Maybe they would have done it to the number one team. Maybe they would have done it to the number one team in the country, beating them 104 to 72. But the big result was the ladies on Saturday. 95 to 91 upset win over the two-time national champion Cavaliers. Massive upset. Texas setting itself up for uh, a nice year in the pool. Yeah, absolutely. On, on Friday, they came in. They, they did it a little bit different. They had uh, like they introduced swimmers like they do NBA players, uh, had a DJ light show. You know, it's a, it's a, they're leaning in a little bit to, to the making the swimming an event, which is fun when they had a, <clears throat> a really good opponent. Um, they won nine events that day. The 200 medley relay posted the fastest time in the NCAA this season. Kelly Pash uh, posted the fastest 200 free in the season. Both teams looked great, which again, <clears throat> when it's combined, you say, okay, did the, the men being exceptional carry a pretty good women's uh, program, which, you know, has kind of been the case for the past few years in, in general. Women have been very good, but by any other school in the in standard in the country, phenomenally good, but the men have just been so elite for so long. Saturday, they broke it out, and it was incredible. Like Gerald said, the men dominated, right? They they also swam that same group. Sam swam the fastest 400-meter medley uh, posted in the country. Uh, David Johnson also became the first person to break a, a sub-850 eight, eight, uh, in the 1,000 this season. Um, but then the women, I mean, like, it's not as though number one-ranked Virginia 
hasn't been tested or lost a bunch and they're not the team they were last year. They returned nine All-Americans on that team. Um, They're really good. Like People who won their event at the national championships last year lost to Texas on Saturday. So um, really, really incredible. And, And honestly, I'm I'm more I'm more excited for where the women's team could be this year after they made that upset even than I am the men. Like this should be this should be a number one number one situation. Uh if not this week then 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 pretty soon. It it hints at a very high ceiling for them, right? It hints at a very high uh, outcome. Again, last year was mildly disappointing from them, right? Uh, yes, they both finished second last should, year. They were both runners up. That's right? disappointing. <laughs> it is disappointing for Texas swimming to be second uh, in either the men's or the women's. So uh, that hints at a big year for them. Hopefully, they can keep it going on the hard surface. Elliot Spaziri finished as the runner up at the ITA National Fall Championships, becoming the first Longhorn finalist since Yuya Ito three seasons ago. Yeah, he beat top seed Garrett Johns of Duke to get to the final, ended up falling in two sets in the final. Um, probably not exactly how we wanted it to end, but again, to be the, the second best of the country is no, nothing to shake a stick at. Uh, this will wrap up the fall championships, give him a little fire heading into spring. Spazier's a guy who, when he's on, has beaten the number one ranked player like four times in his career. Like He can be the best male tennis player in college. There just go stretches, and he's had some injuries in there as well. Um, so hopefully it seems like he's, he's locked in and he's healthy. If he can carry that into spring, then he could have some things to say for a really good men's tem- tennis team top to bottom. It's shaping up like a – it's starting to smell like director's cup in here. I'm just saying. Uh, the number three women's basketball team in their final exhibition game were all over Wayland Baptist, 107-46. to 46. This is stuff that you do when you're like – the coaches are playing a peewee team. Like, that's what this felt like. 60 points is a lot, man. Um, they forced 28 turnovers, and they only had – Four turnovers, forty-three to two was the point <laughs> differential. They only gave up sixteen points in the second half. It felt a little mean, but Texas honestly put the put the the subs in, and they just dominated. Right, Aaliyah Moore led everybody with nineteen. Um, but you know, uh, I, I'm going to say this one for the second time, Gerald, so that you can hear me say it, so that you don't have to say it, and also because she's one of my favorites uh, in a long time, uh, Jacalenga. When in Tonda, uh, of course, uh, with 14 points, nine rebounds, six assists. I said in our preview, she's a big guard. Um, she came in and ran point for Rory Harmon, but almost put up a double-double on the rebound side of things. She's she's going to be really good uh, as our second point guard, as a big who can get in the paint, as a person who can crash the glass if you need to go in a big lineup, as a spell for Harmon, someone who can handle the ball, no turnovers in this one. Uh, I really, really like her game a lot. Again, Outmatch competition for sure, um, but even as a freshman, it seems like Vic uh, Vic is curious to see what she can do. So she'll probably get some minutes uh, early this year. So speaking of early this year, the ladies, the men are currently opening up the Moody Center for them as we're recording. Wait, 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 uh, wait, 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 wait. Sorry, I, I skipped this. I missed my note. All right, Joe. Before uh, we move off, because it's an exhibition, I don't want to put too much stock into this one. Can you name the mascot of? Wayland Baptist University. Hmm, that's uh, I want to go Wayland Baptist University. Are they the 
Patriot keeps coming to the head, but it's not the Patriot. It's a P and it's a person, but I can't remember what it is. So we'll just we'll wave the flag. Am I close? It, it originally was the Wayland Baptist Lassies, but it, in 1948 they changed it to the Flying Queens, the Wayland Baptist Flying Queens, which is a, a top five nickname for me, honestly. The men are the pioneers. That's where ah, I was going. Ah, okay. The men are the pioneers. I, I didn't even know okay. that. I went straight to the women's team. Yeah. So. <laughs> the, the men, the men are the yeah. Naming the men the flying queens would be fun. Uh, probably <laughs> runs counter to a lot of things Wayland Baptist believes in. But anywho, hey. it was number sixteen soccer. Um, we said it last week that the loss in the the Big Twelve tournament probably didn't impact their seeding much, but apparently it did. They ended up with a seven seed. But they are hosting first round action. They the ladies were very very excited for this, and then they saw their opponent, um, and it went kind of from excited to serious, but also still excited. They got A and M at home, Kyle. Mm-hmm. A five p.m. Mike Myers Stadium, first time hosting in four seasons. the The winner is going to head to Durham to take on uh, a tough Duke squad that um, has been been on a tear this week this year. Yeah, they, they a little disappointed to get that seven seed. It's it's a tough second round. Again, they got to get through the first round, but it, it, they certainly on paper are the better team. Excited to be hosting. They're good, really good at home. Um, because of that getting announced today, I think this afternoon, recording this on Monday, um, they shifted the women's game. FYI, so if you're in Austin. It's a fantastic place to be on Friday. The uh, women's soccer match will be at 5 p.m. at Mike Myers. You can literally walk, I don't know, 100 yards, less, uh, 50 yards over to bless the mood um, to the Moody Center uh, for the women's opening game, which was pushed back to 7 p.m. so that you can go to both of these 90-minute uh, you know, uh, soccer match. Uh, but yeah, uh, you, you can walk right there, double duty. Tickets won't be too bad for either. It'd take the family, get four hours of, of action. Uh, it'll be a great Friday night. But yeah, Friday night, women host A&M, then uh, women's basketball opens the season officially against Luke. Do it. Get out there. So now's the part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college athletics, Big Bertha, and we bang the drum. Whether it's Bertha 1 or Bertha 2, still brought to you by Joe Ruiz. So, Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this week? Uh, Gerald, I'm banging the drum on, like, a an icky sports story that I don't love. Um, we don't love extending coaches really for any reason. We, we've seen it with, with, with Jimbo and Mel Tucker and Gerald banged the drum on that a couple weeks ago, and uh, we saw it with Tom Herman's extension, and it's like you got to be really good to to extend your coach, and um, in the best of circumstances, right? Uh, Iowa State soccer program is 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 not what I would call in the best of circumstances. Their their current head coach has, I think, like a sixteen and twenty seven record, and and you know it's it's fine, it's not great. Um, he's done some some recruiting, I guess, uh, but Matt Fannin um, got announced today. For a two-year extension, it feels like weird timing because also two days ago, um, an ex-Iowa State player corroborated additional Iowa State players' complaints about a toxic culture, body shaming, verbal abuse, you name it, just the bad stuff, right? Um, This was... Kind of the most recent was a player who went on record with the Des Moines Register investigation, basically uh, originally of of Cora Anderson, who said um, that 
he forced her to play when injured, um, and then when um, she was injured, took her scholarship, um, like which again is illegal to do. So that's an investigation ongoing. Now, uh, a second player has come in and said, yeah, she she tried to, you know, he tried to kick her off when she was hurt. Um, there have been allegations, I think, by eight players, uh, nine players, Olivia Wee and eight other former players um, spoke on an anonymity. Um, I think two have, have, have spoken with their name attached to it. Additionally, a former Bowling Green player where he coached before Iowa State came out. I don't need to go into the details. You can Google it. You can read about it. A title nine investigation ongoing. Iowa State, like for being the small market team they are with Matt Campbell and what they did, you know, the, with the Hilton and, and Magic and what they do with the basketball team and women's basketball team, honestly. And, and you know, they, their athletic director always seemed like he kind of was, was really good. Like you talk to an Iowa State fan, they'll say he's the best athletic director in the country. Like legitimately. I think Levi has said that on this podcast multiple times. Um, this is a baffling move and it makes no sense and you didn't have to do it. I don't think anyone was knocking down the door to steal your coach. Uh, like it just like it, it sends in every single way, the worst possible message. And again, as we talk about Texas basketball starting their season, I, I hope that Crystal Conti gets to be on the good side of things and gets to make the right decisions with, you know, as the Arterio Morris misdemeanor case plays out like a, I enjoy that we've had a pretty good run on the 40 acres for a while of being on the right side of history. Um, I understand the business of sports and how much pressure it is to not do that. But like, I just hope as Texas, we can continue to rise above that and continue to do the right thing. Season kicked off tonight. Doesn't seem that we are um, taking any actions currently with our Terry Morris. Um, so, we shall see how that plays out. It's going to be a tough kind of feeling in your stomach every game if, if nothing happens. But, um, yeah, I mean, just like just be better, right? Like these are these are young women, young men that we're talking about in all these instances. It, it is our duty uh, as, as fans to, to ask and demand for, for better uh, from our universities for them. There's, there's a long conversation to be had about um, – the lack of value placed on women's athletics and the lack of value placed on women's athletics and, and um, the, the, just the narratives that are built around them. It was, it's it, last year was really validating um, when ESPN finally decided to push the women's NCAA tournament and push the softball tournament. And they did absolute numbers. Um, and, and like, it's just, there, there is a weird, I don't even know how to to phrase it, but it, it just it, it there's something off about the way that women's athletics is treated in a lot of these conversations, and I'll just leave it at that. And my bangs are up. Kyle and I don't plan these ahead of time. We don't even put them in the show notes because we kind of like it to be a surprise. Uh, but my show my my bang the drum is on supporting the women as well, and this is specifically for our Texas ladies. Uh, Kyle mentioned it in the bang the drum, but. Friday is an opportunity for you to go out and show out for the Texas women. You can go right now online and purchase tickets. A family of four, two adults, two children can get in to the soccer game for 22 bucks. That's a fun little afternoon. Oh, but let's just go over and look at the Moody Center pricing for the season opener against the Louisiana team. That's going to be pretty good. Most expensive ticket available, 15 bucks. <laughs> Every section, $9. General admission, $9 tickets, right? Like, I know, like, 
it's tight. It's fixing to be a recession and all of that. But like, if you've got the means and you're in Austin, like go out, it could be a fun little day. Take your kids. Austin's fun. Grab some dinner. Like it'll be a really, really good time. Um, and you don't have to move to your car. You don't have to pay to park twice uh, because <laughs> it's walking distance between the two. But one of the things that I love and the reason why Kyle and I structure this podcast the way we do is we are massive fans and massive supporters of women's athletics. Part of what has made Texas athletics great and sustainable over the last decade is the success and the level of excellence set by the women's athletics on the university. The, the volleyball team, we, we, joke about this but it's it, the volleyball team is what the football team wants to be right like the <laughs> rowing team is what the football team wants to be right Vic Schaefer is turning his program into what Chris Beard wants his program to be mm -hmm. right women's athletics has set the pace for the University of Texas for the last decade at the very least right and so if, if you've got the opportunity you've got the means and Friday is a very unique opportunity to do so go out support cheer wear your burnt orange show those ladies that they are just as um, vital and valuable for what they do their efforts and the representation of the university that they do so stinking well uh, is worth your attention this is a Texas sports podcast. We will always cover all Texas sports, men's, women's, revenue generating or not. Uh, this is a big week. We know there's a top 20 football matchup, but you have an NCAA tournament game, like Gerald said, on campus. Two teams, uh, men's and women's basketball, opening their seasons at home in a new arena. Volleyball coming back for a revenge game after a flu cancellation last week. They get to try to avenge their only loss of the season to Iowa State uh, and, and get, get things right before heading the tournament. There's a lot going on go support them all uh i know it's gonna be a big football game and a lot of y'all are probably college game day tuning in uh for that i get it but uh go support as much as you can or at least uh you know watch them on tv tweet about them like these are longhorns these are these are the the the, the teams that have been lifting us to director's cup so they deserve our support and we do great we do support them very well we can always do and that's all we've got for you this week kyle where can the good folks find you on the internet? Oh, you can follow me on Twitter at Kyle Carbon. You can also follow the Texas Pregamer at Texas Pregamer. Follow me on Twitter. I am at GH Goodrich. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. Facebook and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic. Or shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. Texas leads UTEP by 13 with 450 left to go. We'll try to get you an update on Thursday. But frankly, we may forget because the game looks like it's probably going to be a win. But until Thursday, we'll be back with our TCU preview. And until then... Hook'em. Purple sucks. <laughs>